Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. We're in dire need of support. And I think we have to collectively come together to see how we can do that. And as Give Directly, we find because people's experiences are very unique and their needs are very unique, the best way to do that is to give them the choice and the dignity to make a decision as to how they want to help their families, how they want to address their needs, how they want to fight and get out of poverty. Hey, how are you? Hey, I'm good. How are you? Yeah, I'm really, really good. I'm really looking forward to this one because um, as a bit of a political geek, I listened a lot to the Rest is Politics podcast with um, your president, Rory Stewart, and he actually was talking about Give Directly and it made me reach out and learn a little bit more about what you do and why. But before we dive into it, I think, yeah, why don't I hand over to you to give a, a great intro into who you are, what you do and why. Great. And thanks for inviting me to have this conversation with you. I think um, forums like this are really important to get word across about the importance of cash and what it can unlock. And I'm Esna Gondwe Matigesa. I am currently a program manager working with the Give Directly team in Malawi. And we work on providing unconditional cash transfers to people that are living in, in poverty. I work with the team in Malawi, but there are several teams working across over 11 countries globally, all working towards the same, you know, with the same ethos of really combating poverty by giving people dignity and choice through the provision of unconditional cash transfers. So that's basically what we do. When and why were Give Directly founded? So Give Directly was founded, I think, because I wasn't there at that time, but so firstly, it was founded in. 2008, well, 2009, um, I can say, by Paul Newhess and Michael Fay and some others. And I guess where it came from is this want to be able to just give people what they need. I think um, these people were academics. They were people that were very grounded in the research, but also they had a lot of develop- experience in the development field. And I think like a lot of people that find their way towards working with GD they're kind of jaded and they want to make impact. And you know, you worked at Oxfam. So sometimes a lot of the times the donor needs overweigh what is actually needed on the 
ground. And sometimes you ask yourself, who are we implementing these projects for? You know, there's times where different things are trending and a lot of the proposals are in line with that. Then you sit and you ask, but who is who is who is guiding this discourse? Who is guiding this process? Who who is leading this charge? And I think for some people, for me included, I can speak for myself. That's why I found my way to GD because I was I was just I was just struck by the question who is who is determining the development agenda? Exactly. You know, and and I think really it should go back to the communities. And we know like a lot of donors have, they say, you know, have a lot of consultation processes with the community, but even with those consultation processes, when you go into a community, there's this, especially in the African context, there's this, there's this belief that when you're coming in as a partner, as somebody that works, you will tell me what I need. Right. And I think even having that conversation, even when I was part of those conversations, it was always very, very focused on the same things, very focused on the buzzwords, because people know what people want to hear. And they say that so that they can get help for their communities. So Mm -hmm. I think I was ready to see somebody that took that out and just went directly to an individual and told them, you know what? What do you want? And I think that is this—that is the spirit that led to the formation of GD, and it's certainly why I joined GD. So we have basically we've delivered over 580 million um, US dollars to over 1.37 million people. We work currently in you know 11 countries, and I think like that's all just numbers, right? But I think for me, I work with Give Directly Malawi, so I don't work with a global team I work at a country level so I'm able to see in a very holistic way the impact the transfers have on the everyday person uh the everyday woman I'm a mother I have a child and we're recently doing a project in Malawi that's working with pregnant mothers and households that have children under um, the age of three so you know when you have recipients tell you that you know like I can tell you the numbers but when you have recipients tell you that you know your project enabled me to make it brought me back dignity because I was able to choose what I wanted for my family. You know, like a lot of, especially in Malawi in particular, you know, we had, I don't know, last at the beginning of the year, we had Cyclone Anna. It affected a lot of um, communities here. And then that coupled with, you know, the political economy around the war in, war in Ukraine and what that's doing to global commodities. So the government has predicted that there's going to be high hunger levels this year. So there's a lot of like lean season response that's happening. It's projected that the next couple of, of months is going to be very hard for a lot of people, especially in my country, in Malawi. And the government has a lot of interventions that they're doing. They're doing lean season response. People are getting more into cash. What we promote constantly is like instead of giving people fertilizer or giving them things that you think they need, give them yeah. the cash and let them determine for themselves what they need, right? Because life what I need is different from what you would need. I have kids. Maybe you have an elderly parent. If you give us the same amount of funds, we would want to use it differently. So I think Give Directly really prides itself on giving dignity back to recipients and letting them be the voice, you know, that determines what they want. Because I think if you look at neocolonialism, about development as a whole, um, you know, you ask yourselves, why aren't we, why aren't we making as much strides? Why aren't we making as much progress as we should make? And I think some of it is tied into, you know, in the in the traditional tr- development sense. And our president said this. We had a meeting with the president of the country this 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 week when Rory came in to visit. That he's tired of 
perpetuating poverty? Why do we keep fueling poverty? And I think part of the fueling of poverty comes from, you know, fueling a mindset that people believe that they don't know what's best for them. We also do believe that when we send the transfers, it's important to put in mitigation measures to ensure that you're protecting the environment around the people that receive the transfers. So we have a lot of work that we put into safeguarding and to, you know, recipient advocacy. But I think fundamentally, giving people that choice, conditionality of our transfers is what's central to our ethos. Yeah, I think the, the choice is the key, right? And uh, and that's one of the things that made me gravitate towards wanting to set up this call because I was listening to the rest of politics whereby your president, Roy Stewart, was, was on talking about Give Directly and the work that you do. And being former NGO myself, I used to work at Oxfam, I'm intrigued mm-hmm. as to kind of how the model works in, in its detail. And I, I agree wholeheartedly that um, the ability to kind of give people the dignity to choose as to where they want their money to be spent rather than kind of be provided said products or services, I think is is a really nice way to approach it. I also have my auditor head on me because he used to work in audit um, quite a oh, long nice. period of time. So looking at like, let's say, let's say we give a proportion of money to, um, you know, you said you're based in Malawi. How does that actually flow through and how do you ensure like checks and balances? Because mm-hmm. I agree that it's important to give money and kind of remove some of like the the middleman per se, where mm-hmm. a lot of the wealth can be extracted and lost. But how do we ensure that that money goes to, you know, for, for example, the building of schools, the, you, you mentioned your mum, the provision of, of goods and services, et cetera, directly? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and I think that's a great question. And I think that's something that, you know, we're constantly asked, right? Like, how do you have, how do you ensure that the development is is conducted or is done with having no conditions linked to your transfers, right? And I think for us, like a practical example to give, we have a project that's been implemented in Lilongwe. And recently, one of the recipients with our model, maybe let me just explain this by giving you a just basic outlook of our, what our model looks like, our operational model. So we go into a community, we have different ways in which we target. Our traditional way of targeting is saturation, where we, you know, we identify the people that are, we look for communities that are predominantly poor, because our end goal is eradicating poverty or helping to eradicate poverty. So we, we use different po- poverty parameter metrics to identify which areas are poor. And then we go to those areas and we aim to saturate. And by saturate, I mean, we identify the people that are from that geographical location and we give to everyone that is eligible within that geographical area. So everyone, we don't like the traditional model, like just highlighting that because we have different ways in which we approach our projects based on the design, but the traditional model and our approach is saturation. So everyone in that area will be saturated with funds. And how do we do that? We go into the into the communities. We do a process that we call census, and we collect just basic information, ID information. In Malawi, we have national IDs. We collect names, and then we go back into the communities with the second level of enrollment, which we call it registration, where we're confirming the details that were collected at census, and then we proceed to enroll the recipient. And after the recipient is enrolled, we have another process, which we call audit, because, you know, there are a lot of different elements that can come into play. There might be people that are trying to game the system. There might be people that have valid mistakes in some of their documentation. So we have a percentage of people that are audited before payments actually go out. 
after this process happens, payments go out. When payments go out, we go for follow-up. So we follow up on everybody that received a transfer to just check recipient experience, spend trends, and just any, if people want to open cases, they can open cases that have come as a result of the transfer. In addition to the follow-ups, we have a call center, which people are told about during enrollment, that they can call the call center to report any issues that may come up. But we also have like a separate team that's firewalled. So this is where your audit your audit background might be excited. We have a separate audit team. Like I'm part of operations. I don't know who they are. So they go in to just provide checks to see that everything is happening on the up and up internally. So looking at staff and staff interaction, but also externally to mitigate any risk that may come out from external, external powers. This internal audit team also works with the recipient advocacy team that works to sort of prepare the environment or the community for the transfer. So when the transfers go out, we have these different steps that ensure that, you know, that take away the, the element of risk that goes into injecting funds into an area. But then a lot of our recipients, some of our recipients have said that because we also go for follow-up and because of the point of enrollment, we really tell people that this is a one-time transfer. We're not going to come back. So make sure that you spend it on something that you really need. Yeah. And when we go for follow-up, people have said that because you come and follow up and you come and have conversations with us, it makes us want to spend the money in a way that will benefit us and that will show the impact that it has made. So I think these different stages help to ensure that there's some level of follow-up and tracking of what is being done. And that in turn makes communities want to make the most of this opportunity because it doesn't come around often. So Rory's now your president, right? How's um, how's that kind of transition come about? And also how how's it going so far? Oh, it's been great. Rory actually just came to visit Malawi. He's one of the most authentic people that I've met. He had a talk with our team after he had come out of the meeting with the president, um, talking about, you know, our end of poverty campaign that we wanna that we wanna launch. And he has a wealth of experience and he just brings a very different vibe to the team. And again, I think it's very, it's very rare to find somebody with that level of expertise that has all the different connections, but still has that sense of humility and authenticity in how he approaches his work. So yeah, it's been great. And we're excited to see the new doors that we can open with him at the, at the head of the organization. Amazing. One of the topics that I wanted to dive into a little bit more detail is that of um, the reduction of international aid. So recently in the UK, um, when Chancellor Rishi Sunak confirmed that the government would be cutting its foreign aid spending, plans continue to until 2024. And in real terms, that's a, that'll take a reduction from 0.7% of gross national income to 0.5% which represents around four to five billion, depending on the size of an economy. That's ultimately goes from 14.5 billion to 11.1 billion of spend. I think it's quite key to delve into that in a little bit more detail as to the direct impacts, because, you know, we know from a top level thing in the UK, that's a breaking of a manifesto pledge that they made in 2019. But equally, when you delve into the analysis by, there's a group called One Campaign, that estimated that the UK's aid cuts will ultimately lead to things like 7.1 million children losing their education, of which 3.7 million will be girls, 5.3 million women and girls would lose access to modern um, family planning methods. There's a whole host of stats that I'll put in the um, in the comments of this podcast episode, 
But I just wanted to get your thoughts in respect to the cutting of aid at a time whereby it seems like a moment where we need to be providing more rather than less. No, 100%. And I think the world we've experienced several shocks, you know, COVID, the war in Ukraine, um, they've been consecutive shocks that we've all been feeling. And I think this has sort of pushed different countries into changing their outlook and approach to aid. And I think it's, as you said, it's a time where we really should be coming together. I saw a statistic that the global GDP is at 96 trillion, right? And the global poverty gap is 100 billion, right? So there are funds there. I think we just need to collectively come together and see how to best utilize those funds because they are going to be ramifications if we don't figure it out. You mentioned about education, but with COVID coming in with climate change, there are a lot of diseases that were um, eradicated in certain countries that we're seeing come back. We've had an outbreak of polio in Malawi, for example. So I think we're in dire need of support. And I think we have to collectively come together to see how we can do that. And as Give Directly, we find because people's experiences are very unique and their needs are very unique, the best way to do that is to give them the choice and the dignity to make a decision as to how they want to help their families, how they want to address their needs, how they want to fight and get out of poverty. There is a marked um, difference in, in the level of giving. And I think that's why from our end, we're really trying to diversify because currently we have sponsorship from, you know, foundations, high net worth individuals, some institutional organizations. So it, it's it's a varied set of um, funding streams. But because we're seeing changes in people's priorities, I guess, like or outlook, we're seeing that there is a need to really dig deep and identify ways to to expand our funding pools or enhance our fundraising. And I think that's like Rory has joined at a very opportune time because he has a lot of connections that he can tap into that we previously did not have access to. And we're really trying to up our game in bridging those or building those relationships with local donors. So in countries to see whether we can tap into some of that, those resources and trying to really up our game in our content creation to make sure that we're we're sending the stories out there. We're being creative in the way that we're doing our fundraising because there are minimal resources. So to make sure that we are in the best place possible, in, we're best placed to try and generate um, some support with the content that, that we're able to create. But yeah, very noted. And it's something that we also have been seeing and something that we're also alarmed by. The amount we're able, we have been able to raise this year is, is not is not the same as we did last year. And yeah, so definitely, definitely agreeing with you on that point. And those are some of the systems or um, efforts we've put in place to to mitigate that. I think it's a global problem. I think not only us, but a lot of a lot of charities or NGOs or INGOs are, are feeling that pinch. So there's more of a battle for very limited resources. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. 
Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Yeah, exactly. And I think, um, in which case, I think it's also a good opportunity to talk about other means of funding as well. So if you look at things like we had recently on the podcast, a, a business called Circa 5000, which is mm-hmm. very, very much focused on investments for people and planet. And they make, rather than kind of traditional means, they make a, a direct assessment of um, the impact of a company via, again, like a, similarly an audit esque process to assess their true impacts. And then, if they are deemed to be impactful, then they are provided as a as a means on onto that platform, and people can invest directly into causes, companies, et cetera, that they truly believe in. And I'm encouraged by that because we also had an, another conversation with a business called Gratitude not too long ago as well, which uh, essentially they allow gamers, they, they operate in the computer game sphere, and they essentially allow gamers to receive cashback from in-game purchasing and donate that directly to environmental conservation and social NGOs. And, you know, if oh, we're wow. looking if we're looking at the sums of money that we're talking about in the industry, like I'm, I'm from a gaming background. So from a figures perspective at, at this point in time, the industry's worth 235 billion and it's expected to be worth 321 billion by 2026. There's, you know, players wise, there's, I think 3.24 billion gamers globally with a year on year growth of 60% of in-game purchasing um, over the last three years. So there's these huge pots of money, and it's just about, for me, it's about progressive partnerships for change because we could all do good alone, but, you know, when we come together, we can do great things. A hundred percent. Before I came to GDI, I was into partnerships and partnership development with the with the government. And I think that was a key thing. Progressive partnerships for change is really important and using different, you know, the private sector, public sector, and really promoting those relationships. What was the name of this um, this organization that you were talking about? The the last one I got the circa five thousand. Yeah. The last one that you mentioned. Um, gratitude. I can gratitude. make it, I can make the introductions. Don't worry. That will be great. I think it will be great to introduce them to to our growth team because I think these are the this this is this is what we're looking for. It's, it's, 
I think like it's just been a lot of <laughs> consecutive bad luck I'm, with COVID and then the war and then for us in 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 sub-Saharan Africa we had the the cyclones which have all been sort of uh, there's just been a lot of consecutive horrors coming up and horrors might be an extra but I think like there's no other word for it I think for a lot of people it has had very horrific um, results we recently in Malawi we had eradicated polio but it's now come back cholera cases are rising and people attribute that to the changing climate um, situation so I think there, there's been so many ripple effects that we have to re-strategize. We have to become more creative with the ways that we raise funds or raise awareness of, of our different causes. So I, I, I would really appreciate um, yeah, a yeah. link. And I think uh, that would be, that. that's great. Happy to do so because, yeah, like, as I mentioned earlier, I used to work at Oxfam. So like looking at the impacts of the coronavirus, I remember reading a little while ago that there was, around 41% increase in direct debit cancellation for UK charity donations, which is huge. So when people are starting to feel the pinch, they um, naturally look to reduce external direct debits, et cetera, where possible. But the the impact that we're seeing at the moment, like the the, the horrors that we're see, seeing here, it's it's this is a point in time where we should be digging deeper into our pockets to provide for those that really need it. And it's understanding that, we're all in this challenge together and ultimately the the ability to care for others and empathize for others and support others to have that level of as you said like dig- dignity in respect to how they choose to invest and where they want fundings to go to yeah i think there's there's a lot of good that can be done at this moment in time but um yeah it's just about putting those connection points together to make sure people that, that can help do help yeah 100% so we talked about how you generate funds we've talked about like where you guys are located and and the sums of money that you have to play with but looking at impact since you guys have been going some of the case studies that you've been able to kind of point to and and work that you've done in the past yeah sure so i think like one you know looking at impact i think we really pride ourselves on it in as much as we do our operations and i'll speak to that impact in a minute um, we also want to work towards building the body of literature to promote our seat, to promote um, cash transfers and how they can be impactful in different developmental settings, but also developmental thematic areas. So far, and in terms of impact on that research point, we've run 19 RCTs on our programs that help to sort of map the impact and the feasibility of cash and what cash designs are more effective so so as to build the literature so i think that that's a major thing to our contribution to the cash dialogue and cash framework as a whole in regards to our impact in countries like we've worked in 12 countries we've run you know we've secured 950 million for recipients and delivered 580 million in the past decade so that's a lot of cash going out but in terms of specific case studies. Again, I would err to speak more to the case studies in Malawi because I can speak to them with with more, I guess, more gust and because I've seen them with my own eyes as well. Yeah. Uh, during COVID, we did, we partnered with um, community-based organizations to provide cash as a form of recovery in peri-urban areas. And the other day I had, a, we partnered with this organization that worked with women that have been victims of violence and they, you know, 
you know, during COVID, a lot of gender-based violence was heightened and our target, we, the, the, the organization was working with women. So with the transfers, and this is, we did this in end of 2019, beginning 2020. And last week, um, one of the women sent a voice note to the, the woman that runs this organization. And she was saying that I was able to get nine pigs and I started my, my business or I currently have nine pigs from the funds that, that you, that I received. I was able to pay for my child's school fees. So it was, we saw a lot of like cash expenses, like things to sustain livelihoods, but we also saw people putting the money towards a business like this woman with the pigs. And there was another one that wanted to, had always wanted to open a shop and she didn't have the capital to start that off with. And she was able to do that with these transfers. We recently went back to, we started implementing Malawi in 2019 and we went back to the first community we went to this year. So this is three plus years later. And this man where we went at the time where he received his transfer, he, you know, improved his house. But I think for me, what stood out is he bought two goats. And when we went there, he he had 14 goats and then he had purchased two cows. They were small cows, so he was waiting for them to grow. And he had a rice field. So he was still complaining because that was one of the areas that was hit hard by the hurt, by the by Cyclone Anna, yeah. the Tropical Storm Anna. And he still wanted like additional support. But then the fact that he had something to fall back on, he, he expressed that he was never truly without, even with the shocks, the rains delayed. And then when they came, that cyclone hit. So people's farming year was really bad. So seeing seeing his ability to be resilient, even in the face of all of those shocks, to me, I think that speaks to tremendous impact on the whole message of, you know, building resilience. We do it through very various projects where we run resilience campaigns. We do trainings. And this was a person which we didn't do any of those things, but he was able to use whatever research or tools he had at his disposal in the community with the extension workers to make a plan for himself that was able to see him through some hard times. And that's one example that speaks to many, but for me, in terms of impact, that those are some of the few case studies that I would, that I would draw upon. And in respect to how, how do you decide to whom to give the cash transfers and also to what amounts are people provided? And is it like a one-time thing or is it ongoing relief? So we have different projects and different designs based on different needs, right? Like we have, you know, large sum projects that we do, which have a, like a big, a big amount that we give to recipients based on that specific design. And they usually receive one half of the transfer and then there's a break in between for follow-up and then they receive the other part later on. And that's a one-time grant and it's a larger amount. But then we have basic income projects, which are like, they receive smaller transfers over a longer period of time. And the distinction between these is just depending on the needs in that particular area and the design of that particular program. And how we choose who will get the transfers is, as as I made a bit of reference to this before, our traditional approach is to saturate. So if we identify an area is one of the poorest areas, then we'll take our funds and we'll saturate that area as more, more, more often than not with the large sum projects. But then the, and there've been some projects that have been targeted as I mentioned, we did some emergency response. So we're targeting people that have been victims of 
you know, a certain emergency um, catastrophe. So with the cyclone, we did, we supported them and it was targeted towards them. And we've also like with the project I'm telling you about, about targeting women and caregivers of child bearing age that have children under the age of five. Um, that's, that's some of our targeted approaches, but our rule of like our, our standard approach, I guess, is, is, is to saturate and to provide these large sum projects because we've seen that that through our studies that has a great impact a greater impact and is there any like preconditions that you apply uh, upon <laughs> what people can have or qualify in order to get a transfer and also how, how are transfers made so yeah we don't we don't apply any conditions but we've been doing especially this year in the case of Malawi, we've been doing a, a lot of cash plus programs so we yeah. have cash and we work with other partners that are implemented in the area in a way in which we're not associated. So we would go into the communities as two different organizations, but we're going there because we know another organization is doing certain interventions that we want cash to um, complement. So we don't directly say this is conditional or contingent when you're doing A, B, C, and D, but because we're partnering with a pro- with a partner that does have interventions in the area, that's kind of how we're we're um, leaning into the plus aspect of our cash transfers. Exactly. And I remember even the time when I was at Oxfam, we were trying to implement something called the Robin Hood tax, um, mm-hmm. where the campaign itself was proposed to set taxes on a range of financial tra- transactions. And the rate would vary, but it would averagely be around 0.05%. And that money would go into a pot to kind of um, alleviate global poverty. And it's interesting because like, when you look at the availability of, of, of funds, they are available. It's just figuring out actually the logistics behind it um, and also like the pots of wealth that's available. So if we kind of look at now, like two of the biggest things that struck me recently, I remember reading a treasury doc- document um, because, as I say, I'm a political geek. <laughs> so I was, reading, <laughs> I, was, I was reading this treasury docu- document and it, it talked about how there was 170 billion available for via a windfall tax over the next two years. And then I read another HMRC document that was talking about how there's roughly around 850 billion um, available in tax havens and offshore. And you're looking at that volume oh, wow. of money and you're looking at the rising levels of interest and the rising levels of inequality. And there comes a time where we need to support people rather than um, perpetuate um, cycles of profit. No, 100%. I like it. Perpetuating cycles of profit. I think poverty in some ways is it's become almost a business. I think it shouldn't be. Because when you look at the faces of poverty, I think you're just called out. And I think we, we need to call each other out a bit. Yeah, exactly. That I think it's just an honest conversation, right? In respect to these are the challenges that we face, but equally these challenges can be remediated and these are the potential solutions available to us. And it's just showing people that there is another way. And this is why mm-hmm. I was like keen to jump on a call with you and like learn a little bit more about what Give Directly are doing. Because yeah, I think it's these like these new ways of giving people dignity and giving people the ability to choose where the money goes and how the money flows um, that's going to really provide lasting impact and hopefully will go a long way towards alleviating global poverty. 
And we talked about this a little bit earlier in the podcast in respect to like the wealth of funds that are available via, you know, we, we talked briefly about a windfall tax being 170 billion or HMRC knowing that 850 billion, which represents around 6% of the UK's total net income wealth is held in tax haven. So I think it reminds me a lot of a conversation we had with the Patriotic Millionaires a little while ago, back in January in respect to tax, those with the broader shoulders should be paying a little bit more. And also the discussion in respect to where money can be generated from, because as you said, there's, there's, there is an abundance available. It's just figuring out um, how and where and to what mechanisms and do we implement to allow for the flow of money to take place. 100%. Totally agree. <laughs> totally aligned with you on that. Another question I wanted to ask was in respect to government as a whole, in respect to A, the important role that they play and also B, within the wider context. I think government is one of the most strategic um, partnerships that we have. They've been instrumental to our work in Rwanda, to our work in Malawi. And if you want to implement certain projects at scale, it's really important to have to work with them towards that because fundamentally they they build and they cultivate the structures that we would need to work with to eradicate poverty at 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 scale. So I feel that it's really important in building partnerships and building relationships to start with relationships with government and to purposefully engage and not just in a token manner but to purposefully engage and work with structures to ensure that we're able to work collectively towards a goal. Um, in a way that supports the project as a whole and does not undermine collective approaches. To purposely engage, I love that. And I think it's it's so true that it reminds me of a book I was reading recently by Ari Wallach. It's it's called Long Path. And it's ultimately about becoming the ancestors our future descendants need. And I think looking at kind of the viewpoint oh, of beautiful. it looking at the viewpoint of it is a long path. It is a it's a long journey that we're gonna to have to take. But equally we have to strive towards a long path rather than take these perpetual shortcuts. And because the, the, if you look at the statistics, inequality is rising, inflation is rising, all of the traditional um, indicators, negative issues that occur within society are right in front of us. We see the challenges, but it's ultimately it cannot be solved alone. It has to be solved together. So I encourage anybody that's listening to this podcast to kind of reach out to be part of the conversation and ultimately look towards building these progressive partnerships of change because that's that's ultimately how we'll get to the end goal that's ultimately how we'll get to the long path and leave a legacy behind that yeah is for the benefit of future generations so exactly i love that being the ancestors that our future generations need i love that we've talked a lot about the economic impacts we've talked about the cutting of aid we've talked a little bit more about give directly as a whole but in respect to impacts we we, we mentioned a little earlier about some case studies but some impacts some statistics that we may be able to kind of leave with our audience to have a little bit more awareness of of the what and the how and and the the what takes place for sure and i think i i, I think some two countries to highlight which i which I have had the opportunity to work with is Malawi, um, because that's where I'm from and that's where I currently reside, and Rwanda, two very good examples of countries and that have had a huge impact or that have felt a huge impact from the cash. And Rwanda, we saw 
of the recipients that received transfers, 96% of them spent it on food, um, 72% on health and sanitary apparatus, and 45% on education. So we're seeing cash having an impact on social services and access to these services um, in ways that sometimes traditional projects may struggle. In Malawi, we've seen 80% of our recipients um, that were victims of Cyclone Anna using the funds to improve their homes within the, this emergency, within an emergency context. We've seen in Malawi, again, 60% of recipients purchasing livestock that they then use for businesses. In Rwanda, 91% on agriculture and livestock. So people are finding ways to make the biggest impact on their lives with the cash. And the evidence shows that the funds are being used in these ways that are not only creative, but are very impactful. Yeah, exactly. And I guess like to, to close out, you know, firstly, thank you so much for sharing such amazing insight. It's been an absolutely awesome episode. But to close out, what does the future hold for Give Directly? What, what are your kind of key goals in the short, medium and long term? And kind of bearing in mind some of the challenges that we're all about to face just down the road, what, what would your advice be to our listeners keen to do a little bit more? Well, I think like I'll I'll split that up, right? In terms of Give Directly, I know we're really working towards, you know, finding creative ways to really grapple with and and fight poverty so we can get to the point. It's the UN's number one goal, wanting to eradicate poverty and and Give Directly really wants to be part of that of that process. So I think strategically that's something that we're looking to do and looking to form partnerships, form um, relationships that will enable us to do that at scale. And in terms of just thoughts for moving forward, I think I feel strongly that what we've been dealt the past three years or two to say, I think it's important for us to, instead of to fight the the response of going into ourselves, going into our countries, going into our bubbles and really open our minds our hands, our abilities, our experiences to each other so that we can move forward together. I think more than ever, the world needs to collectively come together and not be, you know, not have very fragmented approaches to the general good. I think, I think we have to work together and we have to develop those partnerships, develop those relationships, develop those structures that will enable us to do so. And I think cash and organizations that give directly, organizations like Give that give directly that have gained um, experience, but also expertise in delivering cash, we should be involved in those conversations. And we're willing to be involved in those conversations because fundamentally we're all working towards the same goal. We're just doing it in different ways. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. And um, yeah, thanks again. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Purpose Made podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to Purpose Made wherever you normally get your podcasts to hear the latest news and views. You can also find and follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn and Twitter or contact Peter directly to connect, inquire about Purpose Made or request to be featured on the podcast. We look forward to welcoming you back soon for another episode.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.